oh, I'm not sure about working in government, you know, what, what is, how exciting will it really be? I'm just going to make perhaps a process better or something like that. But actually, it's probably the most challenging environment I've ever worked in. Hello and welcome to the IXDA MP podcast, a show that focuses on honing in on your design craft. Whether you're an eager beaver looking to get into the industry or you're an old fart with multiple years of experience, there's something for everyone. I'm Sam Hancock and today Venita and Molly are speaking to Mira Pankania. Their conversation focuses around the government and civic design space, the nuances of working within the public sector, why government isn't for every designer, and how she's seen design maturity within government significantly improve over the last five years. Mira is a design leader with a career spanning over 17 years in the private, not-for-profit and public centres across the UK and Australia. After several years in the Australian public service, Mira co-founded Propel Design, a strategic research and design and strategic consultancy that uses an evidence-based approach to help co-create strategies and solutions that are human-centered. With this breadth and depth of experience, Mira strives to deliver impactful, pragmatic outcomes while building capability and leading teams through growth and change. Now let's jump straight in. Hi Mira, thanks so much for chatting with us today. It's been awesome to get you on the IXDA Mentoring Program podcast. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me as well. It's really great to be here. So a question that we ask all of our guests is what have been some of the highlights and shadows coming out of the pandemic for you? Oh gosh, um, pandemic seems like, uh, I, I think we're still in the pandemic, aren't we? Um, but the the start of the pandemic was absolutely haphazard for me personally. Um, I was actually working in um, New South Wales uh, government, so in the ministry side. So as you can imagine, it was pretty chaotic. Um, I, I just started, I, I think I was only about a month in, and we had to mobilise teams around trying to work out how do we how do we work through what the pandemic means for all of us? And and yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, um, needless to say. And then uh, halfway through the the first year or so, I was so exhausted that uh, it was the perfect time I felt anyway to uh, to just start up a new business. Crazy thing to do during a pandemic. It's not not necessarily what's on everyone everyone's mind. Quitting their their full time stable job to go and start something brand new and fresh with with nothing really sort of there to to jump into in terms of like consulting or work to jump into straight away but it was a very exciting adventure so I I feel like the pandemic definitely had the highs and lows for me but it came out um, looking pretty you know I would say positive um, in terms of starting up a business as well. And so that leads us really well into our next question which is kind of how did you get into government and the civic design space? Yeah, good question. Um, I I was actually not necessarily thinking about government when I first moved to to Australia. It's been almost eight years for me, you know, being in Australia. And I was uh, working in a consultancy, and uh, working in a big sort of corporate um, consultancy like like PwC, for instance. We were doing a lot of financial sector work. Uh, they also did a lot of government um, sector work as well. And generally, you know, private sector usually is the type of work that you'd get coming through for um, for PwC. And then up came you know this opportunity to go and work at the uh, the digital transformation office at the time and uh, it was working on a you know really interesting um, medicare related uh, uh, exemplar and you know, on the first instance i was like well oh, i'm not sure about traveling to, to canberra because i was based in sydney so i wasn't too happy about that doing the back and forth travel um, but it just sounded like a really interesting um, initiative and I hadn't really thought about working in government. It's never been sort of overly exciting for me. And I think um, after about sort of 10 years, you know, in my career, like two years into consulting, I was like, well, actually, it's not a bad time to try something different. And what could go wrong? You know, I, I'll either hate the travel or I'll love I'll love it. Um, and I love sort of working with the team and, and the different sort of challenges that government presents as well. So in the beginning, it was very, um, uh, I wouldn't say negative, but quite um, not necessarily positive about working for government as well. I think I think I had perception that government would be quite 
old school. It would be really difficult to make changes happen. Um, it would be, uh, you know, th there'd be a lot of resistance to change as well. And, um, you know, I, I just felt like the perhaps the maturity of design would be fairly low as well. And so, you know, the challenge wasn't really exciting at the time, like in, in the beginning. But I definitely changed my mind when I hit the ground and, you know, got to meet the teams that I would be working with. And everyone was so motivated and pumped. And you could tell that it was generally a, a very positive team and everyone wanted to make a difference and the maturity wasn't super low. So I was definitely um, surprised like by meeting meeting the team that I was going to be working with, especially in Canberra and the whole sort of Canberra bubble thing. I wasn't sure what I was walking into, basically. And, you know, Australia was still new for me as well. So it was uh, it was definitely going to be a, a different and new experience from, you know, working on a lot of private sector work to to government. So I was pleasantly surprised. And um yeah, I think it I think it was the people that made it. I think it was the the positive nature of the team that I was working with. I had a product manager, delivery managers, you know, other user researchers, interaction designers, and they weren't necessarily used to being in those roles. So when we say product manager, it was actually a, a director from the, the public service. And they wouldn't necessarily be doing product manager type of role where they know how to organize a, a backlog or, you know, how they run a, a scrum team or something. They would they didn't necessarily know all of those things, but they had a lot of enthusiasm and this appetite to learn. And you could see that they just wanted to make a difference and deliver a fantastic service or a product. And so that for me was the the biggest winner, you know, to to join this team that wanted to learn, that was open to new ideas, new ways of working, new ways of doing design, taking a human-centered approach to design as well rather than just, you know, um, throwing requirements over the fence to a, a build team to just go off and build the the, the solution. So, yeah, I, I went in thinking, I'm not sure about government and how, how exciting will this really be to, holy moly, this is going to be really hard. And, and it's also going to be very exciting because I've got a bunch of enthusiastic people that want to really make a difference as well. Yeah, that's awesome that it actually exceeded your initial expectations and um, people truly do make a difference. I just wondered how has the maturity of design changed as you've worked in this space? Tremendously actually. So when I joined um, the, the DTO, so after my um, my stint working consulting into um, government um, through PwC, I actually did the worst thing ever, which is leave the uh, the consultancy and join the client. And um, it was just a fantastic opportunity I couldn't pass up. And, you know, I really started to believe in the the mission, which is, you know, how do we make, um, you know, better services and simply clearer, faster services for, for people? And, in, and realizing that it was, you know, real problems as well that I was trying to solve there, not, not sort of working on, uh, you know, how do we get people to take out more credit, for example. But that was that was way back in um, 2016 so you know in, in that time it's actually matured in a huge way and it's been so nice to see those changes along the way as well i think when the dto was established it was there to to you know build capability in government and really sort of persuade government to think about different ways of doing you know design different ways of actually building services putting users at the heart of everything that they do as well and that was quite different for government. And if I sort of compare a little bit with, you know, the UK government, the maturity was definitely, I would say, slightly lower over here in comparison to the UK government. So I think we were starting from a, a slightly sort of lower level of maturity. Not everywhere, though. So I think, you know, there was pockets of really amazing work happening in government, but it wasn't necessarily scalable or people didn't really know about what was happening over there. So there were a couple of departments that were doing phenomenal work there. Whereas um, I think through the DTO, what they were trying to do was try and raise that maturity with everyone at the same sort of time by doing a whole bunch of uh, exemplars. So, you know, a, a department would come along to the DTO and, and say, hey, you know, this is a... Um, an opportunity for us to um, perhaps um, change the way this service actually works. And, and often the DTO were going to the department where there was an opportunity to, to transform digital services or non-digital even. 
So, you know, during that time, I think everyone went from this baseline understanding of what good design looks like to actually we're doing that and then some more now. And so, you know, more recently, I've been um, a little bit sort of, you know, in and out of government, especially federal government. But during that time, it's it's um, it's definitely sort of grown. And you can see that you're not talking about sort of putting users at the heart of things anymore. You're talking about, OK, how do we get better engagement with users throughout the the process or throughout, you know, the, the service design delivery sort of process of doing things or whatever, you know, initiative you're trying to achieve or outcome that you're trying to achieve. So it's really nice, you know, whether it's a policy design piece or whether it's a framework that you're trying to design or whether it's a, an actual product or service or a tiny sort of feature, whatever it may be. The, the narrative has shifted a little bit, you know, more than what I'd seen in the in the early days. And it's really nice to see that maturity there and people talking more and more about, you know, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? You know, who are the users and what what have they said about this? And um, I hope it's not just focus groups that we've done. And it's actually, you know, usability testing as well as some exploratory type of research that we've been doing. So there's definitely a bit more maturity around the conversation and a definitely a bit more maturity around um, the types of research and design work that you would be doing. Yeah, that's awesome to hear that it's grown as you've been working in that space. Um, I did wonder if you think the public se sector is for every designer or that designers should, um, you know, try work in that space. Yeah, definitely. I like, like I said, um, before I was pleasantly surprised. And, and I imagine there's a lot of people out there who are probably thinking, oh, I'm not sure about working in government. You know, what, what is, you know, how exciting will it really be? I'm just going to make perhaps a process better or something like that. But actually it's probably the most challenging environment I've ever worked in. And, and that's largely because of some of the systemic issues and, you know, governance related things, policy related things that sort of sit in the way of, um, you know, designing services that, you know, fully meet users' expectations and, you know, what the full potential of that service can be. So sometimes, you know, policy can be a bit of a, a blocker there. But that's where you can convert that thinking into a bit of a challenge as well and say to yourself, okay, how might we actually shift this policy to make these services better and a, and a little bit more user-friendly, but by also meeting policy needs as well and challenging policy. So I, th I feel like it's part of, um, you know, any design practitioner's responsibility to try and sort of challenge, you know, what good design can be. And, and that it, it's the same within the public sector as well. So, you know, a lot of good design can be um, hindered by, you know, bad policy or just policy that hasn't evolved, or policymakers who didn't realize how their words are actually going to impact, you know, how an end user interacts with the product or service as well. So I would say that it's a very um, exciting environment to be in. It can be as fast paced or slow paced as, you know, the uh, the department or the, the government agency that you end up working with is going. I would definitely say that it's very fulfilling as well. So I think I, I having sort of worked in the in the private sector for majority of my career, I mean, I, I've only been really working as a public servant and then working or consulting into government for about five-ish years. So it's not really that long, uh, perhaps a little bit longer now, now that, you know, I've started the business and, and uh, we've been consulting into government as well. But um, that's not a very long time, but it definitely kept me interested and I've worked on some really interesting things, including more recently, like um, doing some policy design type of work as well and, and talking to policymakers about, you know, how they can think of these these policies in a different perspective, in a different way. So it's definitely for people that want to try out something new, want an interesting challenge. If they're tired of uh, designing things that are I would say fairly, I wouldn't say simple, but if, you, if you're keen to try out something that has a lot of systemic issues, something that has deep sort of infrastructure that, you know, where um, it's not as simple as, um, let me just design a screen that will connect to this API and, and, and this is, you know, hey presto, this is what it's going to become. We're talking about brokering conversations with different stakeholders that have very different perspectives. We're talking about having conversations with different departments about the thing that connects into you know their service so different multiple government services that interconnect um, we're talking about doing 
getting getting people to think about um, government services from a user lens. Um, like you know, I, I mentioned earlier that that although the narrative has shifted, there's different parts of a, a department that will think about the user lens in an entirely different way. Um, so for them, the user user can be themselves. Um, so I'm a user. I'm just going to use this, and then I can tell you that this is working and not working. Um, so it's really getting everyone to think differently. And so yeah, if you fancy a a different challenge and and doing something that is, I would say, really hard but really pushing your limits as a designer, then government's definitely the place for that. That's really great to hear. And I want to kind of tug on one of the threads of something you said around um, how design can influence policy, um, and I can say maybe influence change and vice versa, and kind of how every department has a different lens that they bring. So that might be from a policy perspective, as an example. So could you give us some examples of that happening? Because I think as designers, we have our design hat on, right? So we can't quite see it from that other perspective. So we'd love to hear some examples that you can share with us. Yeah, so while, while I was at the, the, the DTA, so the uh, uh, Digital Transformation Office um, eventually became an agency. And um, so while I was over at the DTA, I got to work on um, digital identity. And that was a wonderful experience because um, a lot of the, um, the policy was in the works when I first started. and. Um, it was at the earlier stages, they'd just finished off a, a discovery piece and they'd done a, a fair bit of time in, a, you know, exploratory type of research. And then, you know, we were transitioning into the alpha team. So, you know, making sure that we've really understood the problem space and then, you know, like how do we sort of do a bunch of concept testing to build out some prototypes, basically. At the time, um, I got to work with uh, a couple of policymakers who um, very experienced, very advanced in their sort of knowledge and understanding about identity and legislation around identity in Australia and, and, and globally as well. And so they were writing this, uh, this uh, framework, so the Trusted Digital Identity Framework, and, you know, it was so nice to be part of it from the early days. So they were off writing a bunch of uh, identity-related policy, but what we didn't have was a product to actually test whether the policy was going to be working or not. Um, so there are a bunch of knowns when it comes to public policy. There's a bunch of things that are the non-negotiables. So we can take those non-negotiables and start sort of prototyping something to see whether, you know, it actually works. Um, so we're talking about things like authentication. So how do you, you know, put your username and password into um, form fields? And what does it mean to have the right type of username and password as well? Does it need to be a, an email address or a, or, or a you know, made up username? Um, does a password need to be, you know, anything in particular as well? So these are the types of things that goes into a, a policy or a framework like that. And um, and often, you know, it's taken on existing patterns and, and you can reshape them as you're building out the product that meets this policy. So for a little while, we actually had the policy feeding the product. So influencing what the product would end up um, being. So if we think about a verification product like, um, uh, where you're putting your um, identity-related documents into, you know, a system and it's going to verify that you are who you say you are and um, it's verifying it from sort of existing government, you know, document sources as well. So for a little while, you know, policy was able to influence the product, but we got to a point where we'd sort of fleshed out this product in a, in a prototype sense and, you know, we started testing it with users and realized that actually users aren't able to use this product in its true form based on the existing, you know, policy and the way the policy was being written. And so we started to, you know, share this back with the policy team. So we made sure that the policy team was part of our um, multidiscipline team and sharing that back with them it was either received really really well or it wasn't because it was like well this is what the policy says we can't actually shift this um, but we managed to to push push quite hard for that change those types of changes because they could see what the impact you know the impact that it was having on end users when we were either having conversations with end users, showing them some concepts um, that they um, would, would provide some feedback on, or um, through usability testing. And um, it was remarkable to see that sort of shift in realization that, hey, what we're writing, what we're putting into this policy and framework is not going to be, it's not really going to work. Part of that sort of process, I actually um, managed to get these policymakers to 
to prototype as well and sketch. And, and that's a brand new concept for policymakers. You know, so we're talking about people who typically be in front of their computer writing government policy. But I remember sort of turning up uh, the, the first time in, uh, in Canberra and I booked out this uh, really big boardroom and brought some post-it notes and Sharpies in there. And policymakers turned up with their with their laptops, and and I said, okay, we're not going to leave, need laptops, but you know, I really need us to sketch out some ideas around uh, what a login page is going to look like, for example. And they said, oh yeah, but it needs to be this, and it needs to be that, and it needs to have this many characters, and you know, we need to make sure. And I'm like, okay, well, no, that's fine. I, I want you to forget everything that you know, and really sort of think about if in the ideal world, how would you, how might you actually design what the the perfect authentication experience could look like so let's let's just sketch some ideas so half the team was actually based in sydney so we set up a video link and sketched at the same time so they so it wasn't this special thing that we were doing with policy but we were all doing it together so i realized actually taking policymakers on that journey with you to design better products and services for end users was definitely the way forward so then I turned up the following week, did the same thing. They eventually got used to it. I think the by the third or fourth time, they were in the room ready to go, no laptops with their Sharpies in hand. So they knew what, what to expect. And they knew that we were going to be sketching, you know, same time, same place, same room. You know, consistency is really, really important. We managed to you know, make a whole bunch of changes based on what we thought was going to be very difficult. So things like consent, you know, we realized actually we can design the content in a slightly different way because it's not user-friendly as it is the way it was written in, in the policy itself. Um, so we managed to do a lot of little things that makes a big difference for end users and how they sort of provide informed consent. And so through that, we made content changes, we made product sort of changes like feature changes we made a lot of um, progress in like priorities as well so how we might sort of have people uh, with, an, with a vision impairment um, able to use an identity service like this so the, the priority at the time was um, anyone that has a, a passport or a driver license um, to use um, you know the identity verification service because they needed a photo ID of course, someone with a vision impairment may not have a passport. I mean, a lot of people don't have passports in, in Australia anyway, but um, they certainly wouldn't have a driver license. So they do have a vision impairment card with their photo ID on there. So the way you know we prioritize which identity documents would be available for people to use came from you know a, a policymaker sitting through a usability testing session initially just observing from the corner and then eventually you know wanting to wanting to participate as well so it can be really powerful taking policymakers on on that journey with you when you're designing you know products and services for for end users you know like for, for government services anyway yeah it's pretty remarkable the journey that you described i think uh similarly working in aviation that may have more traditional ways of working and mindsets it it, it's it's quite amazing to kind of take them on that journey and make that progress. And so kind of to that point, um, as you've worked with different departments, what, what are some of the similarities and differences you've seen in the way that they are actually approaching design? That's a that's a really good question. I think um, I think that baseline understanding of what um, good design could could be or processes could be. Um, is definitely there across the board. I think, you know, um, in terms of maturity-wise, um, I feel like everyone has stepped up. Even the smallest government department or agency has really stepped up as well over the last um, five, five, or so, five or so years that I've been sort of um, tracking the progress in, in government. Um, uh, I would say state governments are doing um, some remarkable work as well. In comparison to um, uh, to federal government, and I think that's because you know the reach is. I mean, users are a lot closer. So people using state-based services, you're a lot closer to to them to make a difference as well. But in comparison, I would say, like from between government different government departments, I think it comes down to how early they think about doing design. So a lot of like the baseline wise, a lot of departments are doing design down the line so they've got um, requirements already they've got a good understanding based on you know basic sort of policy related um, 
and legislation related, uh, I guess, like mandates and, and so forth. They've got a good understanding of what um, needs to be designed. And so they're doing it a lot later down the line. So someone may have already started putting visuals together. Someone may have already started putting, you know, the, the actual build of the, the product or service, you know, or features together. And they're doing some usability testing um, off the back of it. And based on any feedback, they'll release the, the product and service. So, you know, it's the um, just-in-time approach, which it ha happens a lot later down the line. However, I think the, the difference that I've seen, especially, you know, where I'm, I'm working at the moment and, you know, a couple of um, my, my team members as well, is how do we sort of incorporate the design mindset much earlier on in that sort of early stages of getting funding to do something in the first instance? So this is before gone to government and said, hey, I, I need X amount of millions of dollars to go off and do this amazing thing over here. How, how might we do some design thinking or run a few design sprints or do some, some of that design work much, much earlier on? So what you're then also designing is the capability profile that needs to come together to actually deliver a said outcome. You know, what, how long will that process actually take as well to, to deliver? So all of these considerations can be made much, much earlier on. So how, how do you go broad? So how do you go wide and, and as, as deep as needed over a short space of time to produce a, I guess, like a, a new policy idea or new product idea or a new feature, whatever it may be, before you actually seek funding and then realize that you need to do more exploratory work or you need to do more research, more design work. I think typically what happens in government is that funding is already allocated and you receive the funding and you realize that it's going to take a lot longer to build the thing. And so most of the money is allocated to, most of the budget's allocated to just building rather than doing design research and really understanding the problem and you know understanding how we might actually, you know, develop an idea further to to ensure that it's make, it's meeting, you know, end user needs. And so, if we do this much much earlier on, we're almost accepting that um, we don't have a, a full sort of understanding of what the problem is that we're trying to solve. We don't really know that much about it. We only have basic information based on any and any qual or quant data that we may have available to us. So, how do we influence? the, the pre-approval stages of, of government um, services, delivering government services. And, and that's really challenging because typically, um, you know, policymakers or business part of a government department don't necessarily think we should do some, some of that design work much earlier on. And so they, they typically sort of go, hey, here's a great idea and we should go and develop this idea. Let's just go and seek funding for it. And they get a little bit of input from lots of different parts of the organ, you know, a, a part of the uh, the department to get some idea of, you know, how long this might take to build. But what people don't necessarily factor in is really understanding what the user needs are and doing, uh, you know, so some of that further exploratory type of work. So I think that's where seen probably the, the, the biggest differences. There's some departments doing a lot of that work, which is fantastic to see. Um, other departments, not so much. It's, it's, very, it's very new. It's a new concept. Um, but I think the potential is definitely there for more and more organizations to look at it from that point of view. And, and I think that comes down to vision, appetite, willingness to try something different and it really does come from the top. Yeah I really like that concept about research before research and I think it becomes even more important in government. I think in the private sector maybe there's more funding that can potentially be put towards that but that sounds like a real challenge maybe more specific to government or more pointed in the civic design space for sure. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, through um, through Propel, we've been really pushing hard on those things. Um, I mean, slightly sort of, you know, personal bias there, having um, worked in New South Wales ministry and, and that too for a, um, for a minister who's very pro in making products and services user friendly and, and digital first and, and really sort of, you know, pushing the boundaries. So, you know, I got to see some of that shift happening internally from um, New South Wales government. 
And so, you know, seeing that in action and then, you know, thinking about my previous time working in government, how perhaps I could have changed some of that language to work with more policymakers much, much earlier on um, has definitely guided, you know, how I approach um, working with some of the clients that I'm working with and, and, you know, who we're working with as Propel as well. And so, you know, our approach is very much, uh, you know, we, we're here to sort of help you um, work on those sticky problems and you know how do we do things in a different way how do we do things more strategically how do we get that alignment and so I think you know when, if you're designing you know the government services or whatever impact or change you're trying to make from much earlier on you can actually get really good traceability right to the end product as well because you're putting the right measures of success in place as well. Can you actually talk a little bit about traceability because I know it's something we've talked about previously but I think from a design perspective it's it's quite a concept to to take home especially because I know one of the themes uh, in our podcast series has been around business and finding business value in design and obviously traceability is quite related to that. Yeah, absolutely. So traceability is so important to have and I think um, in government especially because at the end of the day the money that we're we're uh, using or you know the budget that's allocated is taxpayers dollars. And so from that point of view, there's there's even more responsibility to make sure that we are, you know, designing and building products and services the right way um, for the, you know, right cohorts of people and, and making sure that they actually meet everyone's everyone's needs. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be that person who says it's not just about uh, end users, but, you know, it is also about um, the the organization and it is about you know policies it, it is about uh, governance and you know all of these things are very very important it's not just about you know the end user you've got to be able to the thing that you're working on and it's interesting actually because even you know if you're working in a team you want to feel as though that the thing that you're working on has um, some impact or will make a difference and so, you know, the thing that you're working on usually comes off of a backlog or a product roadmap or um, that's typically, you know, aligned to a vision. It's aligned to a strategy. It's aligned to, you know, um, a broader vision, perhaps. It's aligned to, you know, more strategies, um, depending on the different layers of government that you might be dealing with or, or any organization for that matter. Um, but the most important thing is that the thing that you're working on, ha there is some line of sight there right to the very top. So where has this actually um, come from? You know, where does it sort of originate from? And so how do we maintain that traceability when you're um, working on this tiny thing over here, delivering, you know, uh, let's say a feature? How, how do we know that that feature is successful in meeting the vision, the overall vision or the overall strategy? And it's so challenging to do when um, once you've received funding in government, because what happens is typically anyway, what happens is um, a department will go seek funding and it will be outcome from a based on an outcome. There'll be a lot of detail that goes into it, um, but it's really challenging because how much information can you provide to say this is the thing, this is how we're going to build the thing, this is what it's going to look like, this is how it's going to interact and um, only to sort of realize when you're working on the thing that you need to build it or design it in a different way and the experience is going to be entirely different because you're learning about it as you go, provided that you're, you're not taking a, um, a waterfall sort of method to, to delivery uh, and, and doing somewhat, some agile in between as well, although there's lots of different versions of that now. So, <laughs> um, so it becomes even more challenging, but provided you're trying to understand, incrementally understand what the user needs are and how um, the product or service that you're trying to, to make is going to change while you're you know, forming an understanding, basically, um, it's really hard to maintain that traceability because you're saying to government, this is what we're going to do. And then you end up designing or releasing a product or service that is slightly different. And so there's no silver bullet for this. The only thing that you can do is try and influence much earlier on and really focus on the outcomes. 
So if the outcome is something like, you know, we want users to be able to interact with this service in the, you know, in um, the easiest possible way so that they can complete their job profile and search for more jobs um, immediately. So we're not, you know, asking them to spend too long filling out 20 different forms or something like that. Um, I mean, even that's quite specific. So how do we sort of go from being too specific to something that's a little bit more higher level, a bit more outcomes focused? And that then provides everyone with a little bit more room to to go off and, you know, design and um, build a product that really does meet user needs while fulfilling a said outcome that you've promised to, to government. Um, and I think that's where the real challenge is, is how do we go from a, a specification um, that we're going to go off and, and build and design this thing, not sort of be too focused on meeting e the exact specification in there. So I think from a traceability, going back to, you know, traceability, um, it's slightly easier to do that traceability piece. It's not great to do it um, retrospectively. So we've tried to do it retrospectively. It's very hard to do. Um, so we've got, uh, I think we end with, with a, um, a particular client, we ended up having product roadmaps and, and features defined, and we had to trace that back to the original business case and original research and, and blueprints and design work that had been done. And we were trying to sort of combine all of those worlds together. And, and it ended up being this massive monolith of a, an artifact, which then had all of these different things. Like it was almost like a, a crime board, you know, um, on a wall with the string, you know, kind of attached to one thing to, to another thing. And um, and it was really hard to do, but the, the, the sole purpose of doing that, and that too retrospectively, was to make sure that we hadn't missed anything. It was to make sure that there weren't any gaps in our understanding. So we had all these features forming and, you know, um, these product teams were off defining some of these features, but had we really understood what this feature is and Part of like my role um, with this client was to to help them understand what those gaps are, understand um, where there are opportunities to do more design, more research, um, or not do too much as well. And I think that's another a prickly sort of topic. You know, how much how much research and design work should you do to progress something along? And I think you know in this environment, especially in in government. Um, there are challenges around that. So that traceability piece that we did actually helped with, hey, team, you need to do a little bit more um, discovery type of research. You need to do a little bit more alpha type of um, design and research rather than um, spending too long on this. You probably don't need to spend that much time. You need to spend a bit more time doing this other thing over here. So the traceability piece actually helped us to navigate how much design and research delivery teams needed to do versus not needing to do, but also to make sure that there weren't there weren't any gaps in the understanding as well. Um, the last thing we want is you know delivering a delivering a service and and then it's entirely different to what we promised. Now I think it's a really important balance between what sounds like kind of zooming in and zooming out, balancing uncertainty and still delivering as well as the business case as well as having traceability to make sure that you're delivering on what was asked um, it's a lot of different things to balance together in a public sector where I think there's a little bit more scrutiny on how things are delivered and where they're delivered and under what timeline as well so um, massive props for explaining and helping us understand uh, a very complicated domain space. Awesome. So, Mara, a question we ask all our guests on the podcast, um, since it is a mentoring program podcast, we'd like to know what mentoring means to you. So, mentoring for me personally is having someone to connect with that has a different perspective to my own um, and to be able to have lots of um, good, healthy conversations about some of the things that perhaps you're trying to learn. Um, so in my case, I, I, I still have mentors um, over in the UK that I still connect with. And it's really funny because we we still have mentoring type of conversations and we still in, in, in the calendar, it still says mentoring catch up with Mira, you know. Um, but um, 
like one of my mentors said to me more recently, I'm learning more from you. Are you even getting anything out of this anymore? And I said, actually, yeah, I am. So for me, it's become more of a networking um, opportunity to have conversations about things that um, I'm still exploring. And I think it's always good to have that learning mindset. And I, I don't think you can ever really get to a point where you don't need a mentor. And and so in, no matter how mature you are in your career um, or new you are in your career, there's always an opportunity to learn. So mentoring is a really great way of just connecting with um, people that, and you can have multiple mentors, right? I've got so many different sort of levels of mentors um, and we have lots of different types of conversations. And it's so nice to have that safe space to have those conversations um, and to not feel judged, you know, to about some of the crazy moments that you might be dealing with or um, the people that you deal with. And, you know, it's really nice to, to be able to connect with someone that perhaps has a little bit more experience than you or um, just a different perspective entirely. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I love how you've, um, you know, stay connected with mentees and mentors along the way. Um, I did wonder how maybe mentoring within design differs between consultancy, which you've worked in previously, and now government or civic space. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think like mentoring in government or in the, you know, in the public space, is quite challenging, um, I would say, because um, unless you have a, a network that you're part of, or so when I was over at the DTA, um, we had set up communities of practice. And, and so that was a really great way of um, different practitioners meeting each other in government. And we would send out um, newsletters, we, we would have um, training sessions or meetups and things like that, um, that got um, government um, practitioners you know, together. And it was a great way of uh, people meeting each other and then going off having, um, you know, they'll either maintain those relationships or um, come together again when something else was held again. Um, so it wasn't like a formal sort of mentoring relationships that people had formed. But I think, you know, for me personally, um, I ended up meeting a lot of people along the way through those types of networking and those in, those engagements that we had through the DTA. And um, quite a few of them, actually, I, I'm still in touch with who where they contacted me and said, um, you know, I'd love to carry on having these conversations and it would be great to just grab a coffee with you every few weeks. Um, or it'd be great to just jump on a call or something like that, especially during, you know, the, the pandemic where, um, you know, you weren't interacting face to face with a lot of people and there weren't enough um, events and things going on or they'd become um, online. And there's nothing wrong with that. If anything, it sort of opened it up to more people, but it made it challenging to just have side conversations. It made it challenging to um, pick point a person and, and sort of have a quick chat with them. And um, on, online, that's harder to do. And so, yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely different the way the government, like in, in the in the public sector space, how mentoring um, actually happens. I don't think that there's anything um, formal there anymore. From my understanding, um, I know the um, Australian Public Service Commission, so APSC, they do a lot of um, training, mentoring. You know, we we recently did a, a taster course um, of uh, uh, a user research session that we held with them um, more recently. But then through that, we actually had um, a fair bit of inquiries around, hey, can you tailor some of um, some training for us? And so, you know, we're working on a lot of, you know, different sort of training types of um services including coaching and mentoring and it's interesting that um it doesn't come to um you know people's mind immediately that perhaps i can tap into a a person or a consultancy that cares about um building capability especially in government like, like we do um perhaps we can buy some of their time or perhaps we can get them in for um you know a short period periodically to to run a session with us or to just guide us and or tap into just a, a conversation that you can have um so it's it's definitely new i would say in government from my understanding at the very least you know it's something that we've been researching a fair bit to see how we can um, help more people in government um but you know when when i compare to um the private sector 
um, there's definitely more opportunities available. I think people are a little bit more aware that they can do more of this. And, you know, they go to a lot of um, uh, meetups and, you know, um, things like UX Australia, IXDA is fantastic for this, right? This is how when, when I first came to Australia, um, I think the first event that I went to was an IXDA event um, in Sydney. And so, you know, that helped me to to meet a lot of people and to, to also maintain some of that connection with them and, and continue talking to them. So you can either formalize it or keep it informal. It just depends on, on your appetite. And I think when it's something a bit more formal, it's there in the calendar and you turn up and you have, you know, things to, to cover um, and you can put more structure in place, of course. Um, you know, some of them for me have turned, um, have gone from um, formal to informal. And um, I really love those because they become a quick conversation on the phone or a quick sort of text message exchanges and things like that. And But I still refer to them as my mentor or my mentee. And, and that's quite nice as well to remember that you are still learning from each other. So speaking about mentoring, especially in this, I know you've mentioned before that recruiting designers in the public sector space is quite difficult as well. Um, what are some of the, whether it's skill sets or mindsets or tool sets that you think that the next generation of designers need? And how does a young designer break into this space? Because I think at least personally, I've had the perspective that, oh, you need a little bit of experience, if not a lot of experience to jump into this domain space. Um, but I know it's opening up and curious to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say from a mindset um, perspective, just have an open mind. I think, you know, be curious, have an open mind, um, you know, put aside your your biases and, you know, and, and even ego, right? Like, I think um, I when I first entered the world of, of government, um, yeah, I had a, a bit more of an ego about, you know, oh, you know, what do they know about uh, designing good services and, and you know, how, how is this really going to work, that sort of thing. Um, and a lot of people do think that. They think that actually government is not a exciting place to be, uh, but actually it is. And there's, it just depends on the, the challenge that you want. And I think so from a mindset point of view, just keep an open mind for sure. I think, um, and be curious. I think the curiosity part is really important and, and really sort of, you know, be humble in that environment because I think it's really important that, um, as designers that we maintain a really good relationship whether we're working directly in government as a public servant or um, or as a consultancy going into the uh, public service right it's our responsibility um, to build good relationships and take the public service on that journey whether you're in-house or as a consultant um, and the reason why I say that is that you know you've got to think about the next runner in all of this. Like you're in there doing a job. You're you're in there trying to build that um, relationship between um, traditional sort of you know public servants um, with what this new thing is: design, research, human-centered design, um, you know, contemporary ways of working. All of that is is very new to some people. And so if you leave um, if you leave them feeling that they don't know what they're doing and you make them feel like they're they're um i guess like lower level of maturity if you make them feel like they don't know and you're better than them in any way then obviously they will have this negative feeling towards people like us who are you know just practitioners design practitioners research practitioners that just want to do a really good job in you know in overall sort of user experience space and and that's really tough um, when you're trying to take you know um, public service on that journey. Like so, leave your ego at the door. Um, be curious. Be open-minded about it. I think from a toolset point of view, um, just bring your whole self. I think you know the the toolsets. Obviously, you know you 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 have the tools. You you know which tool to pull out um, of the the toolkit as and when needed. And I think you know that that's a, an ongoing learning journey as well. So there's always going to be the, the baseline stuff that you know that yes, I need to do this type of research here, or I need to do this type of design over here. But I think it's how you do it. It's in your presence and how you do it with the public service and, and how you sort of approach um, the problem that you're trying to solve as well. 
and not go in sort of gung-ho uh, presuming that everyone knows everything that you're talking about so perhaps adopt the, a similar language so rather than saying user research i tend to use a lot more of you know we're doing some evidence gathering here and we're trying to build our confidence about this thing that we're we think we need to build um, how, how do we maintain good level of confidence about this? Um, do we need to go and learn some more? Okay, let's go and learn, learn some more rather than saying, you know, we're going to do lots and lots of user research because again, you know, um, a lot of um, government departments feel like our oh, consultancies come in and they do lots of user research and they leave us with, you know, lots of insights and findings, but real, no real action what to do next. And so, you know, how do we change that language? How do we do sort of, how do we take everyone on that journey? Those are the types of things that um, government would be looking for. Um, different departments would be looking for um, from new people coming into the government space. And and yes, you know, it's really challenging to um, attract talent into government as well. So having been a public servant um, for quite a few years and, you know, doing a lot of recruitment and hiring, um, it's really challenging to to find um, find people that want to want that challenge as well and want to join the public service, whether it's as a public servant or as a you know um, a temporary um, workforce in in like a contractor or a consultant as well. So yeah, I'm not entirely sure why that is. You know, more recently I've been we've been uh, doing a lot of recruitment, not for just ourselves um, at Propel, but you know, with some of the government departments that we're working with, and it's so hard to find good people. And you know, when I say good people, I don't mean oh, okay, I'm looking for someone who's super friendly and you know um, has a great sort of you know profile or um, a CV or they've worked here, done this, these courses or anything like that. It's, it's really around that sort of curious mindset and that willingness to try something new. And it's that um, desire to really make a difference. I think if you work in government or work in the public service, you're not there to um, make lots of money as such. You're, you're there because you want to make a difference and you really want to design good human experiences for, for users and humanize government services people don't use government services because they you know want to they do it because it's a means to an end and so how do we how do we make these services better and so you've got to have that desire to to really make a difference and that concludes our latest episode for the sydney ixda pod if you want to learn more about ixda sydney's events and mentorship programs please feel free to visit ixdasydney.org. Cheers. See you next time. Hi, I'm Mira Pankania, and you've been listening to IXDA Sydney Mentoring Programme podcast.